Joe Short, owner of Short's Brewing Company. What's up? Good morning. Cheers. Cheers. Let's get this party started. It was really bad to start. You have people walking around wearing hats with your name on them. Yeah. I always considered Short sort of the field of dreams of a business that should have never existed. Nobody knows what to say. Humpa Lumpa, <laughs> Oompa Loompa. <laughs> what is the routine like to get oh, that thing perfect? If it falls asleep like this and you're just kind of Oh, done. then we have problems. Look at you, bottoms up. You're definitely a beer girl. This was a great call to start out with. What did we pour today? We poured the, uh, I call it Nitro Joe, but it's Cup of Joe, which is a um, kind of a heavy, hefty stout with uh, higher grounds, Mayan Magic Espresso Coffee and lactose, which is milk sugar. And uh, we put nitrogen in it this time in a can. So a lot of firsts for this beer. This beer has been around for a long time. But the first time it's been in a can, the first time it's been nitroed into a can. So very excited myself to be enjoying this. And higher grounds. At almost lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. It, the time doesn't matter, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of like um, transitioning from your coffee to beer hour. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to. So you a, don't want to just like get right into it. You need a little something to break the ice. It's a very acceptable mid-morning beer. I like that. Rock on. Great choice. <laughs> um, I love that there's higher grounds in there too, supporting local. Yeah, we've been working with them since day one, so mm -hmm. almost 19 years now, 18 years. Yeah, let's get into it. So this is a taste that you can really only get at Shorts. When you have a glass of Shorts beer in your hand. And Shorts is something that, you know, you, you had a dream about 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and you turned it into a reality in 2002 once you guys started renovating where the pub is now in Bel Air. And you've really built an empire in Bel Air and in Northern Michigan, across, you know, across everywhere. But this all kind of started back in your college days. Let's go all the way back to how it all got started. Yes. So as a do-it-yourselfer and somebody who was not of legal age to buy beer, <clears throat> uh, the workaround for me was figure out how to make it. And uh, long story short, I kind of grabbed uh, some equipment and a couple books and taught myself how to make beer. It was really bad to start, and so <laughs> then the next challenge was like, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to make something that I, I want to drink. You get to prove it to yourself, right? So, I yeah, I became a little more disciplined and, and started to do a deeper dive into the process and got to a point where it just kind of clicked. I was like, okay, I think... I think I've got the the fundamentals down. We're mm -hmm. making clean, drinkable beer now. Uh, so what else can we do with it? The other stuff was drinkable, right? Just maybe yeah, taste it. Probably, right? yeah. It was all drinkable, just gross. <laughs> so you can drink gross stuff, I guess. A little bit know. of trial and error. I wasn't really excited or proud to drink gross <laughs> yeah, stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's what pushed us into to the world of like making drinkable beer and then making extraordinary beer. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I, I think it was after my junior year, so kind of a new 21-er, mm -hmm. um, decided that beer was something that fascinated me. It was something I could see myself doing as a career. And so I dropped out of college uh, to pursue a path in brewing. Uh, got my first job at Travers Brewing Company. Got my second job at Michigan Brewing Company. Got my third job at Jackson slash um, Sig's Kettle and Brew. And then started Shorts in late 2002, early 2003, opened in 2004. Um, 
at the ripe young age of 25 with 10 beers on tap in a small town of a thousand people who've never heard of craft beer before. And here we are now. And here we are. <laughs> Since you really lived it, you know, from start to finish, I don't want to say finish because there's still, you know, plenty on the horizon, but you've really lived this. Do you have any advice for any amateurs mm. that are trying to take a crack at it? I mean, I'm sure you've made plenty of mistakes. Maybe are there any mistakes that you've made that you can tell someone else, hey, just don't do this, whatever you do, don't do this? Well, I can tell people is that all the mistakes that you make are all the necessary mistakes as long as you learn from them. And I don't think it would be doing anybody any service um, to say that mistakes aren't part of the process. Mm -hmm. For me, it, it was the school of hard knocks. So I dropped out of college and then I um, enrolled into the school of hard knocks, which means everything is real and mm -hmm. it hurts yeah. really bad mm -hmm. when you don't do stuff right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how you learn and adapt from, from those mistakes or those lessons is, is really, I think, what carves your path into your profession. Mm -hmm. Of course, tips and tricks are always helpful, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a necessary part of entrepreneurship is that you just figure out what, what doesn't work and you figure out what works. But I will say some of the best advice that was ever given to me, I think it just has to do with um, your tenacity and your perseverance. Uh, so the message was, as, as long as you can roll with the punches, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that, for me, is what was really real through my process of building Schwartz Brewing Company mm -hmm. was um, being able to roll with the punches and not just a quick jab and the jaw here and there. I mean, you're talking like full on WWE, like. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting body slammed. You're just like moments from death yeah. on almost any mm -hmm. like pummeling you're gonna receive. So as long as you can like <laughs> resurrect yourself yeah. every time that you get pummeled, then yeah, you'll be fine. That's such great advice for <laughs> anything you do. It's not really what happens to you, but <clears throat> it's how you react to it. Sure. What are some of the craziest combinations that you've come up with over the years? Beer, beer to me is like the, the fermented uh, soup of the world. Like, so soup is this like infinite food that's got like a universe of different flavor profiles. And, and so I, I kind of view beer as that way. Like you've always got a stock and then you've got like your extra um, parts and pieces that really make this, the soup or the, the beer blossom, right? So for beer, it's your base is typically barley, barley malt. You might have some other supportive fermentables in there like honey or maple syrup or corn or rice. But by and large, the base of beer is, is pretty standard. Um, for those people who don't know this, beer is essentially four ingredients, water, malt, yeast, and hops. Uh, so those are the, the basic fundamentals that you need to have to just make beer. But um, beer is also food. I, can, I think of beer as food. Um, and it's got a pretty prolific historical ex you know, um, expression. But um, on that, so if you view, view beer as food and, and food as flavor, then you, you can kind of really build a whole world of, of flavor through beer. So you think of things that just tasted good or in, inspired you or me. And so for me in particular, like black licorice was a flavor that I really like. 
Um, Bloody Mary is our beverage that I really enjoy. Uh, pistachios are nuts that I like to eat. Mm -hmm. um, maple syrup and pecans are a great combination. Um, and all of those fit into some beers down the road. So we made Bloody Beer, which was a bloody, like a reverse engineered Bloody Mary. So instead of um, a little sidecar of beer with your Bloody Mary, we actually built beer or Bloody Mary into the beer. Two for one? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so um, we fermented Roma tomatoes uh, with just a, a basic beer base. We put fresh dill, um, peppercorn, horseradish. Um, I'm sure there's probably some other things in oh, there yeah. that I forgot. But um, that beer uh, we created as part of an Imperial Beer Series, and I do believe it actually won a, an award for being a specialty beer. Similarly, with black licorice lager, we used some mint, some anise, um, some vanilla bean, on a black, like a really strong black lager base. Mm -hmm. um, pistachio, uh, cream ale. So we, we took a cream ale beer recipe and we fermented that beer with um, pistachios that were essentially emulsified in the hot wort. Um, and wort is basically unfermented beer um, that comes out of the kettle. Um, to, to sterilize those nuts with, because brewing with nuts can be really tricky. And then, um, so I mentioned pecans and maple syrup. So there's all these flavor uh, profiles that really can align with other beer bases. So we use brown as the base for pecans and maple syrup, and we use a black lager for the base of uh, black licorice, and we used a, um, an American uh, strong lager as the base for... Um, bloody beer. So those, I guess, are kind of a quick snapshot into the world of weird <laughs> explorative <laughs> beers. So it sounds like they all kind of have a foundation and then you kind of just take it wherever from there. It sounds like you can pretty much do anything with beer. If you can that, think it, you can make it. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things you shouldn't do, but, you know, you figure that out if people don't drink it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What are some of the reactions that you see when people try some of these crazy things mm. for the first time? I mean, I would imagine that like jaws are hitting the floor, eyes are kind of bugging out. Those are crazy combinations. Yeah, the, the reactions, especially if they're good, are always kind of the, the highlight of, of being a brewer is to, to deliver a product that really has a, an impression on people. And so when we take our beer to events like the Michigan Brewers Guild events or some of the more regional or national events, the like Great American Beer Festival, which is probably the, the biggest beer event in America, where you're <clears throat> exposing your products to an audience of 30 or 40,000 people over the course of four days, that's when it really starts to resonate with you um, and really feel like explosive flavors and, and sort of the wow factor is is the highlight of a brewer's career, mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully in a positive way on the consumer. Sometimes people are just like so disgusted or just it's beyond their scope of comprehension that it's offensive to them. Offensive. Which could be also a highlight for a brewer, right? Mm -hmm. um, you really knocked it out of the park. You really took them somewhere that they've never been before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one of my favorite beers of all time is the Spruce Pilsner. And this is a beer where we go out in roughly mid-June uh, to a local um, field where there's a bunch of blue spruce that have 
essentially outgrown the tree farm status. So they haven't been like chemically treated or pruned in decades. So they're, they're really perfect for what we're, what we're doing. And so we, we pick all these fresh blue spruce tips, we freeze them um, and then use them later in the winter. So about a month or two ago, we used a big amount of these uh, blue spruce tips to make spruce pilsner and juicy tree and exterior illumination, all three beers that we use to make. Um, uh, so one's an imperial uh, pilsner, one is a IPA, and one is a sour beer. Um, but the spruce pilsner is, I would label it as, as something that's just truly intense. Like, think of like what your uh, perception of intense is. Mm -hmm and multiply that by like 10. Oh, wow. So if somebody's like, wow, that beer's intense, like they really mean it's intense. So mm. I've, I've heard people say it tastes like drinking pine saw or, <laughs> or something like that. But for me, I think it's a, it's a beautiful creation. It's like you've taken this element from nature that's got these powerful flavor and, and um, these components that really build into the beer. And then you've got the beer, which is, a great base and you've added hops and these spruce tips and they've really made something magical. Um, so as a creator, you really appreciate it, but then from somebody who's probably less experienced in the world of craft beer, it could be really intimidating mm -hmm. or just so off-putting because they haven't progressed down that path of craft beer uh -huh. long enough maybe, mm -hmm. or maybe they just simply don't like it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that too. Um, but I guess to, to get back to your point is the reactions are, they're fun. And they give you kind of a pulse of where you're going as, as a brewer. So for instance, like I love to enter that beer all the time because I think it should win and mm -hmm. it never does because I think it's too intense for even judges. Uh -huh. um, but it kind of goes to show like we don't, we don't make beer to win medals with. We make beers that are exciting to us and then we hopefully our excitement translates you know, to the rest of the consumers. So you don't get 100% of the time, but it is, it is always nice when you hear like, um, so in my early brewing career where I, I made a Kolsch for the first time and you would have a consumer being like, I spent, you know, 35 years of my career in Germany and I drank Kolsch every day and this is by far the closest thing to Kolsch that I've ever had in America. Like, so that's kind of exciting, mm -hmm. right? If you can if you can nail a classic example, or my favorite customers are people who say they don't like beer. I'm like, oh great! It's like a little experiment, great. right? Tell me a little <laughs> bit about yourself, because if I were a betting person, I would bet that your experience with beer probably revolves around industrial made lager, uh -huh. and that particular flavor is not appealing to a lot of people. But tell me this about yourself. Do you like coffee? Do you like um, gin? Do you, you know, and I ask all these questions and then I'll pick a beer that might align with some of the flavors that they like. Because typically people who don't like industrial lagers have a very, uh, very expansive like flavor profile. These are people that are, that are probably used to more evolved flavors. Mm -hmm. And so it means that they need a step above what whatever their experience with beer is. And their experience with beer is just this very concentric world where we if we expand that that world, <clears throat> then we're like opening up the doors. And so people who don't like beer are my favorite customers because if I can convert one out of five, which is probably pretty accurate, 
you give somebody a soft parade. Well, I like red wine. Well, here, try this. Mm -hmm. Or I like gin. Try this IPA or um, try this spiced wheat beer. Um, something with flavor and personality. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize beer could taste like I didn't realize beer was exciting. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, that's always fun as, as a brewer to... You say soft parade, and I'm instantly taken back to summer. Yeah. It's like July. It's 80 degrees outside. I'm sitting in the back, you know, looking at the water. That's where that takes me. Mm -hmm. um, so with all of these crazy combinations, you also have some crazy names. Sure. How do you <clears throat> say Huma Lupalicious? That's the one. Yeah. Or well, you glitchy, glitchy, it. ooh la la. You know, <laughs> I, I am going to name my beer after that. How do you get there? <laughs> um, so there's no path per se in the organization. So our chief innovations officer uh, slash head brewer, Tony Hansen, he's, he's the keeper. So he's the funnel where everyone lobs their, their ideas and their names into this funnel and he keeps this funnel and, and we'll, we'll schedule things to get brewed or processed in Bel Air at the research and development level on our seven barrel system. Seven barrels is roughly 14 kegs at a time, just for reference. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of our pub brewers like Ryan and Luke, um, they'll turn these out. But a lot of times it could just be the beer style that somebody wants to make. Or it's just a beer with a name, but we don't have a recipe for the beer yet. It's mm -hmm. just we want to make something that's called this. And it could be something that's inspired from, like, a movie or a dream or pop culture. Um, you know, Luke, our, our pub brewer... At he he drives a lot of stuff from from music and pop culture, so Gitchy Gitchy Ooh La La I think is probably some pop culture reference that mm. I don't know, <laughs> but it's an awesome beer and it's got an awesome label, right? Um, and a lot of the times, someone like Luke will have this idea of what the label should look like, and so we'll describe it. And ironically enough, it's his aunt Tanya who actually does a lot of our illustrating. Uh, illustrative work for the beer labels. And they're cool. They're really cool. Very involved, just super creative. Yeah. I mean, as far as uh, some of the other names, so earlier, you know, I, I would say probably for the first 10 years or so, I was largely involved in a lot of that process. So that's where the Huma Lupalicious came from and the Soft Parade and the Pontius Road Pilsner. Um, those all have a story, and, and all the beers have a story, really. Um, Let's get into some of those sure. stories. Let's start with Huma, maybe. Okay, so that's the beer that built shorts, right? So as a brewer, a young brewer, I, I wanted to make um, the best IPA. I felt like that was the pinnacle of, of a brewer's careers. They made the best IPA. And when we got started, timing-wise, that's really when IPAs were hitting the pinnacle of, of craft beer excitement. And they still hold the lion's share of the, of the craft market right now. Um, but now you've got, you know, India Pale Lagers, you've got Strong Pale Ales, you've got Session IPAs, you've got Imperial IPAs, you've got West Coast IPAs, you've got English IPAs, you've got uh, Hazy IPAs. IPA has actually gone away from where I thought, <laughs> thought it was. Huh. Um, but, you know, as a species of evolution, that's to be expected. We've, we've taken this thing and, and broadened its, um, I guess, array of, of ver uh, varieties or availabilities. So now there's like, what, 10 different IPAs. But to bring things back 
Tahuma, which was the classic American style IPA using um, the classic sea hops, Centennial, Cascade, Columbus, um, some of the ones that are a little more piney and citrus forward. Uh, I, I like to have an IPA with, um, I like mine to be copper in color. And so you get that color by adding various specialty malts like caramel or victory or mild ale, something with a little bit more color and flavor. And you make the, the base or the alcohol a little burlier. So ours is at 7.7%, which is at the higher end of IPA. And that's why we started calling it more of an imperial IPA because I think <clears throat> um, generally um, IPAs are running probably a mid six. So we're about 1% more than what the, the median IPA is. But, you know, in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2004 to 2009, basically, is when Huma was really dominating um, our sales. And for good reason. That stuff is amazing. It's, I still, it's still the beer I drink the most. So it, it hasn't drifted too far away from uh, where we started and, and what its intended purpose was, was just to, to have the, the best most um, smack-in-the-face IPA that's on the market. Smack-in-the-face, I like that. Yeah, and so Humulus lupulus is the, the genus Oof. of the hop, right? So that's sort of the scientific name of the hop. And then, so like a dummy, I built that into the name Huma Lupalicious because it's basically delicious hop something or other, right? Cute! <laughs> I love that! That works! It works, but, but it doesn't at the same time. Okay. So, so here's where um, being There's always a but, right? There's always a... Well, being naive in the world of marketing, like if you were to like look into a crystal ball and saw what the future of that beer would be like, would you always call it Huma Lupalicious? So think 15 years later, now you've got this beer where it's on the board and nobody knows what to say. Humpa Lumpa... <laughs> Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. Like this I'm is sure you've heard it all. <laughs> so it's yeah, it is the best and worst thing because <laughs> people remember one that it's something in that world, but they can't ever say it right. But you know what they mean, and mm -hmm. they know what they mean, and so it's. So after a couple label renditions, I was like, man, we just need to like trim this down and make it super simple. And so if you look at it like a Huma can now, pull. Oh, we got one. Rock on. Oh, it's probably, probably is a bad example. It is a bad example. Um, so before we had like Huma Lupalicious and they were all like the same font. And then we went to like Huma, just really blown up. You can't like, mess that one up, let's right? Let's just start calling it Huma. Uh-huh. And that's pretty much where it's landed now, unless you're new to the brand. Mm -hmm. So then you're like, Huma, Lupa. Like, you have to spend a lot of time. It's a little bit of concentration. Figuring out what's actually going on there. Yeah. And knowing today's you know, bandwidth of the consumer's mental state, you don't have time to read three words. <laughs> It's just got to be straightforward. You want your beer and you want it now. It should just say IPA, right? But NAR says Huma Lupalicious Imperial India Pale Ale. That's, like a, that's a lot to digest. It's got character. Yeah, so for the, the graduated craft beer consumer, this is the creme de la creme, right? Um, you bet. 
So I'm, I'm personally very proud of this beer. This is the beer I've always said, that built shorts. We had uh, two converted 400-gallon uh, dairy tanks in the basement of the pub. And each one of them held a batch and a half. So every time that we made, and this is before we bottled or canned anything. This is all, all keg-only distribution out of the pub. But we rolled out um, three batches of uh, Huma in kegs uh, pretty much every two and a half, three weeks. And that would sort of trickle out into the market of Michigan. And what would happen is that we would land in these bars and restaurants and people would get this like punch to the face, Huma Lupalicious Imperial India Pale Ale experience. And then, you know, somebody would be like, well, way up in the middle of nowhere where, you know, the land of fairies and, <laughs> and all, these, all these magical creatures live, this, this, this beverage is born. And um, so people would start to make this pilgrimage up to the pub and experience not only Huma from our own taps, but everything else that we offer there. And, and I think that was a really important part of our, I guess, path as, as a craft brewer in Michigan is that it ex not only exposed the, uh, the artisan and the, and the creative approach to what we do, but it, it brought people, a, a new generation of consumers to our region. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it really helped with a lot of the tourism and the, the economic boom that Northern Michigan's starting to, to see and feel now. I think that Shorts really put Bel Air on the map. Not to say that it wasn't before, but mm -hmm. it really made a name for Bel Air. I mean, Shorts is a destination. People go out of their way to get to Shorts. How did you make Shorts really a brand? I mean, you have people going to <laughs> Bel Air. You have people walking around wearing hats with your name on them. Yeah. How did you do all of that? Um, it was not by design. It was just more or less by dumb luck. And, and, and people who, who I think saw the potential and kind of helped us along the way. So for instance, like I didn't have Facebook or a website to start, but we did have these, these great um, people that came in the pub um, Brad and Amanda Kick, I'll, I'll go ahead and say their names. They were, uh, they were patrons who, you know, had experience in, in the world of sort of marketing and branding. And so they made an impromptu website for us and helped us kind of build a couple labels here and there. And, and I really think it was, I always considered Shorts sort of the field of dreams of a business that should have never existed. Like the business plan, um, the location, like nothing made any sense other than the fact there was just the will and this desire to produce this magical thing and to prove the, the concept that it would work regardless. And so I think demographically, or geographically rather, um, the location of Bel Air is a blessing and a curse. But what it did was it challenged us to be extraordinary. And what I mean by that is that um, Bel Air's not on your way to anywhere. It's not close to a major freeway. Um, although I say that M88 runs right <laughs> up and down the street, but it's, it's, it's not part of a path that takes you to any major metropolitan area in the, in the state. So you've got US 131 and you've got US 31 that after the freeway ends, those are the main and 75 that take take you basically north. Um, so Shanty Creek being the next main hub of our area was the primary draw for a long time. 
but I think we, we made it our goal so that when people came into the pub and we knew that, so this is all part of like the business development and trying to train the staff to be like, hey, look, you know, and it was at that time four or six people. It was like, everyone who comes through this door has to leave being completely mind blown about their experience because this is, this is the investment in not only the company, but the consumer. So when we live and breathe extraordinary, then that continues to, to build and manifest on itself. So every extraordinary experience you create generates excitement and anticipation of people who want to come and see and feel that for themselves too after they've heard about it. So it's just really just building on not only the products, but the people and the story about the brand. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk passionately or excited about anything, any form of art or vocation that that you have an affinity for, I think it really becomes infectious. Mm -hmm. And I think we created an infection, essentially. In the best kind of way. The hats and the shirts and all that other stuff just kind of happened around this natural infection of like energy and products of passion and just being sort of like tenacious and reckless in a way that you know it's kind of like being attracted to like the extreme rock band where it's like you would live vicariously through these people but never be brave enough to do it yourself you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i feel like shorts was that vehicle for a lot of people And I think that passion is so evident everywhere. I mean, that passion is infused in your beer. That passion is infused in the food. That passion is infused in the experience at Shorts. What is it like for you to just kind of sit back on a busy night, you know, (laughs) hanging out at the bar, you have a a glass of Huma in in your hand, and just seeing everybody enjoying themselves and thinking about everything that you've done to get it to this point and where it all started. What is that like for you to sit back and reflect? That's a great question. And um, I get it often in different forms. So here's the thing, though. There isn't a lot of sitting back, and there's not a lot of reflection. Go, go, Um, go. Yeah, like I don't really know how to relax, to be honest with you. Like if I'm I'm in the pub and it's busy, I'm probably not going to be hanging out having a beer. My eyes and my mind are always wandering. I'm like, okay, so I can be in a conversation with you and... No offense, but like I'm probably looking over there. I'm probably looking over there. I'm probably being like, "All right, you're putting out fires. You're planning your next move. You are just yeah, constantly like going. where? Is, how is everything going? Because there's there's a lot of, you know, the pub is uh, essentially a 400 person restaurant, mm-hmm. um, or or it was at one point before we kept remodeling it. And so you've got you know bathrooms and napkins on the floor and. Uh, dirty dishes at tables and um, a line for beer. Like those are the things that I focus on more. But I will say that there are a couple times a year um, that I, I do that reflection part and it's never when anybody's there, when the pub is closed. And so Thanksgiving, I went for a bike ride at Glacial Hills, finished my ride. I went to the pub, it was closed. I poured myself a beer, I sat at the bar and um, that was something that was almost like a something ceremonial I try to do every year. And that's when you actually get to look around and be like, oh man, I remember when we put that beam up, or man, I remember when we knocked that wall out, or man, these floors 
really needed refinishing. But you know what? They tell the best story right They're now. Well and I don't loved, know right? if I'm ever going to refinish them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the original 1885 uh single pane windows that are all fogged up and condensated every year when it's like cold and snowy outside like still need to fix those and but the thing is is like it became five storefronts of this beast of an operation in the middle of the most unlikely of places that has and i use this word a lot produced some element of magic that draws people in day after day, year after year, um, as some, some special part of their, their life or experience on, on the planet. And so I like to be part of that world where we, we've developed and built a, a brand and a team that contributes to people's enjoyment on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Like that's the most rewarding part. And it's not like without the struggles of like, so backing up from sitting alone and reflecting on what the pub has become, but then also remembering like the path to get there mm -hmm. and the path being, you know, sort of this, this tumultuous high elevation, uh, no straight like line where you had to essentially bushwhack and bulldoze your way through to figure out <laughs> what you're, where are you going to come out from on the other mm -hmm. side? So um, the long-winded answer is that what does it feel like? Is it feels like we still, uh, we have this thing that we've created and it requires a lot of maintenance and attention. And it requires a lot of maintenance and attention by people who care about not anything else other than like the experience and the products we're producing. Mm -hmm. And that's a special amount of uh, people and um, talent that requires just uh, perpetual work. Always. And so if you're not there, you know things aren't going to be the same when you're not. Mm -hmm. They're going to be fine if you're not, but they're not the same. One of my favorite stories that you shared when we did an Inside the Kitchen shoot for 9 and 10 was mm -hmm. that you thought that you were just going to live above <laughs> shorts, and that was just kind of going to be This was a fantastic it. dream, yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah, us more about I that. I still want to do, I still feel like I'll end up there. Um, Retirement plan, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think, you know, Shorts has gotten, um, bit, you know, Shorts is big. There were number three or four in the state as far as breweries go, size-wise. So it's a, it's a sizable operation, and it's, it's not something that was ever part of the plan. It was a sort of a kind of follow uh, the evolution and see what happens. But I feel like in life and in anything comes full circle, right? So to give some, some of the listeners some perspective here, like I just wanted to be this brewer who lived and worked in this pub in this small town and like water ski in the morning and make beer during the day and hang out and drink beer at night. and then, Living the life. And then go do it all over again every day. And um, that still sounds amazing to me. But... Um, one of the best things somebody ever told me was that if you want to be a brewer, don't ever start your own brewery. And <laughs> so I haven't made beer in a long time because um, be trying to figure out how to become a, an owner and a, and a leader, um, which has its own set of challenges when 
all you really want to do is like live the simple life and make beer and go water skiing uh -huh. and drink beer. <laughs> but um, now as a officially a middle-aged man with two kids and uh, a lovely uh, partner in life, Leah, who's currently at work at the moment. Well, um, you're out here having fun drinking beer. Well, I'm just having, having lunch beers <laughs> with my podcast. You know, we don't know if your kids are 11 and 13. We don't know if they're going to start or, or, or want to carry on this world with us or without us. Although Elmer, my youngest, just started bussing tables over nice. Christmas break at the pub. Um, but obviously our family uh, wouldn't really function well if we were living above the pub and, you know, we didn't have a yard for the dog, you know. So I think the evolution of life just takes you into these different paths. Um, and I think water skiing uh, in the morning and brewing beer by day and drinking beer at night is a great activity for somebody in their 20s before they start a family. Yep. But it's not probably a lifestyle that most people could live. And so uh, on that note, I'm, I'm happy with the way things have gone, but it's not to say that maybe when Simon and Elmer are gone or we're empty nesters that we wouldn't want to move into the apartment above the pub mm -hmm. and just run this great little mom-pa tap room and go back to the way things started in 2005 when we started dating and working together. And then we built this company and raised a family and now we're back at the pub just slinging beers. And Full circle. Yeah, so that's kind of like this little glimmer that always trickles in the side, but mm -hmm. um, I feel like our time and place has been put to good use, you know, over the years. You said running a mom and pa shop, and I think that you guys have totally mm -hmm. kept that mindset through everything that you have done. I mean, you opened up the facility here in 2009. You distribute all over the Midwest, as far as Florida. So, yeah, the outlying states are Colorado and Florida. They're kind of Michigan migration states, mm -hmm. so there's a Michigan connection in those markets. But, yeah, it's primarily the Great Lakes region, so Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, <clears throat> Wisconsin. And I think that you've kind of kept that feeling because deep down, that's who you guys are. You and Leah are just mom and dad, right? Running the mm -hmm. shop. I mean, let's kind of transition away from beer Joe and let's talk sure. about family man Joe. Sure. Tell me about the family. Simon's our oldest, um, going on 13. Elmer's our youngest uh, at 11. And um, yeah, we, we moved to Elk Rapids shortly after we got the production facility up and running, started our family, and there was, uh, was a lot of dark days uh, during those early years when we were building a house and remodeling two breweries or vice versa, um, remodeling a house, rebuilding two breweries, mm -hmm. um, having a puppy, two kids in diapers. Uh, those are the days that almost kill you. Yeah. But we all know that what doesn't kill you <laughs> makes you stronger. Right. <laughs> and so here we are after all this stuff. We're still married. Um, the kids are doing great. Uh, they're expressing interest in the brewery. Um, part of this space was to help um, have them here so I could stay busy working and have them be doing something. So that's why we have the pool table and the darts and the pole position game. That all it. left over from pub remodels, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, we, um, we really, we try to, I guess it's, it goes without saying it's a struggle to, to keep 
uh, church, or sorry, separation of church and state with the family, because really Schwartz and the Schwartzes are all one. And, um, you know, Leah and I have been kind of brought back into the hospitality m more so than um, we usually would have. Um, the company's always evolving and growing, and so our needs and what's needed from us are very different. And But we do uh, want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're intentional as parents in being mindful of the balance of, of work and life. And so owning and operating a business requires like one million percent of your time. Mm. And then kids and family, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And we really try to be intentional. One, with parenting, that like balance is important, family's important. But work and and career and job satisfaction is also important. It's all part of this one big thing. And so we really stress to the boys that we need their help. Like we're on this team, we're, we're a team as mm -hmm. a family. We need everybody to contribute. There's all the stuff, especially when school is back in, in order and kids have extracurricular activities. And so it can just be a real hustle. Um, but I, I don't know, one of my favorite things about just being me is uh, I've got this great family, and that's one of my favorite things to do is just hang out with my family. Yeah, what do you guys like to do, you know, on the weekends when you're not at short? <laughs> Sometimes I like to go short. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, this weekend I might bring the boys here and have them play pool, and I'll clean clean up the warehouse. But um, when when we're not doing work family stuff, uh, we like to travel. So we got a, a Sprinter van that we've got converted into a camper. So overlanding and exploring uh, what we can with that is exciting. Experiencing what the Great Lake State has to offer, you know, recreational wise, like we've only really experienced a small part of it, you know, just in our northwestern lower region. Um, I mentioned water skiing. I've got both boys, and Leah will, will humor us with water skiing, but both boys are become very proficient water skiers and wakeboarders, so that's exciting. So, water skiing, you're pretty good it depends on who you ask I, I hold my own i don't know I, I still don't know like all the terminology people are so i'm a slalom skier i enjoy slalom skiing i ski at 28 off and at 43 miles an hour no not 43 34 miles an hour sorry okay um but i didn't you know know a lot of this terminology coming into it so i just um surround myself with good uh, water skiers or, or I've been in that culture. I, I did uh, join the ski team at college for a couple years, which taught me some stuff. But um, what we do out here on Elk Lake is free skiing. So it's basically there's no course. There's no lane that you got to go into. It's like if the water's flat, you go out and, you know, and try to get some nice turns in and get my heart rate up. And it's I've always considered it as like my exercise slash wake up routine. So you get your bath and you get your, <laughs> and you get your exercise. And then you're like, and it does like, for me, it changes my whole perspective of the day. I'm like a completely different person when I come in from the water versus like not having a ski day that I'm just like, all right, doing work stuff or family stuff or whatever. Like, Can you get um, out there most days? It's in weather, the summer, obviously. It's weather dependent. Um, so... Mornings and evenings work best, mm -hmm. 
the availability of other drivers or skiers. So I have a small network of friends and family that I'll, I'll hit up either the night before, hey, water's looking good. You know, a lot of people don't want to get up that early. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm also teaching the boys how to drive the boat, so hopefully that'll be less of an issue. Nice. Um, but yeah, so most mornings it is for me. And then, you know, between Bel Air and Elk Rapids, which is the path we drive almost every day, sometimes twice a day, you drive around both Torch and Elk Lake. So you can see what the water's like. And a mm-hmm. lot of times for me, like, oh my God, why am I in the car right now? It's, it's flat. I'll start making calls. All right, I'm going to be in Elk Rapids in 15 minutes. Anybody Forget work. I got Available to, to ski. Yeah. <laughs> skiing only really takes, you know, your average run might just be a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're, you and whoever go out, it's drive time, it's ski time. You could be back in in a half hour. It's it's really what you make of it. I just wanted to know what are some of the cool tricks that you can do. Oh, well, I can brag do, a little bit. I can do a little bunny hop. Oh, because you don't really like to do tricks on a slalom ski. That can be dangerous. Um, combo skis are with two. Don't do those very much, except if I'm being Elvis, which I was Elvis this year behind the boat. I had an Elvis costume on, That's so, I, amazing. so I wear combo skis. <laughs> Uh, wakeboarding is something that I do less and less of now, but I used to be able to do flips in like 180s. Nice. Um, but it hurts when you fall. <laughs> it's getting it's getting more and more painful. But um, I'll let the kids kids do that, and I'll still hop on once in a while. There's nothing more but, defeating, I think, when you fall, and then they have to go all the way around, do that big loop to come and get you, and then you got to get back on, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a whole big to do. It's not like you can just jump right back up. And that's just part of part of water ski life, you know. If you're going to learn, you're going to fall. And I think big, some of the big motivators to not falling is uh, having to wait or, or experience that defeat. So it could be just like I'm just going to get up and go for it. Uh-huh. But um, Elmer, my youngest. He got up for his first time this year on a slalom ski in October. Nice. So his motivation was get out of the cold water. Hey, it, whatever it takes. Right? But, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge part of uh, our lifestyle here, like uh, being close to the water, having access to the water, living in a great place, um, having a great job, great coworkers. Like it's literally living the dream. Mm-hmm. So hope I don't ever wake up. I love that. <laughs> uh, we like to fat bike uh, together, whether summer or winter, probably more so in the summer. Uh, hiking, um, swimming, water, anything around the water. All of yeah. the things. Yep, yeah, all of the things. And you're living yeah. in the perfect place to do it. I mean, there really is nothing like Northern Michigan. No, uh, there's not. And that's one of the reasons why um, Shorts is where it's at. And because um, I want to live where I want to live and then do what I want to do. And I feel like. It's also a great place to raise your family. Yeah. I have a couple more questions, yeah. but I think that last can is calling our names. I think we got to crack it open soon. Okay. You just like tell now. me. And I'll, okay, now? Yeah. I think now. <laughs> okay. We'll see if that nitro, see if she's still. Oh. It's still fun. Yeah. Still. The first time we poured it, the glass was frosted. It was. And the beer was colder, too. It's doing some things. It's, that's what you call the cascade. I like it. That magic that you were talking about, I think it's happening in this glass. It really is. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so we've been doing this interview for, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour, whatever is it's that been. It? So <laughs> I didn't get to ask you any questions. Yeah, I prefer to be the one asking them. <laughs> <laughs> and one question I still have to ask you is, 
about the stash. Mm. I've been admiring this thing the last 45 minutes or whatever it is. What <laughs> is the routine like to get oh, that man. thing just perfect? Well, thanks for noticing. It's been a good mustache day. Um, last night I did take a shower, one of my, you know, infrequent activities that I do as a human to, to, to maintain. <laughs> once a week, once every other week. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Um, so I didn't ever realize that I could grow a mustache. I tried it when I was about 30. So this thing's been about on me for about 14 years. But um, there's not a whole lot to it. You, you need good mustache wax. The key to good mustache wax, I feel in my experience, is it has to have lanolin in it. Okay. For whatever reason, that makes a difference. When I have mustache wax without lanolin, I can tell. But anyway, so for instance, last night I showered. I did a, what, we, what I call a reset on the mustache. Oh, okay. The mustache um, typically doesn't require a bunch of work unless you sleep on it wrong. <laughs> That's where things really can so you can't be just like head down in the pillow. It's not like, gonna work. Yeah, if it falls asleep like this, and you're just kind of oh, then we have problems. But um, sleeping is also a way that. So I've sort of learned how to reset it because sometimes if you just wash it and condition it and you throw the wax in there, like, and depending on the length, right? So if you're an early curl or late curl stage, it could, <laughs> could you know, it requires trimming. It can, keeps growing, right? So sometimes it'll get long enough where I can touch my ears with it. Um, so anyway, and, and the left side and the right side work differently. So naturally, like my, I think it's my right side that always wants to like, not curl straight up and down. It wants to to flare out. It's gonna give you a hard time. So a lot of times bit. I'll just put that on my cheek like that and just sleep on that side of my face for a little bit. Very and intentional. Then, yeah, but it actually, you know, it took me ten years to figure that out. But on a regular day, like <clears throat> if I'm not resetting it through the shower, and like, don't get me wrong, I, sh I <laughs> not every time I take a shower I have to the mustache okay. sometimes it's good to just not mess with it and then really the only thing it needs unless it's completely wrecked is just a, a little bit of wax and it almost takes like less than a minute per day okay. on most days do you got do you have to like turn it is it in the wrist here or what do we got going so on so i literally just put the wax on and i do this which is me just kind of like getting the whole thing done and it will naturally curl that way i don't have to bend it it just does it and then I just sometimes I'll have to like loop it back on itself. And depending if I'm moving my mouth or not, it'll just settle into a spot. And if it settles in the spot where it works all day, then you won the mustache for the day. I love it. Otherwise, I'll get home and be like, I'll jacked up. Like one side will be completely jacked. I'm like, man, I'm walking around like this all day. <laughs> <laughs> that means you have bad friends. They're not telling you. Like, what's up with your mustache today? Up. Or, yeah, if you're outside and, and it's getting a bunch of snow on it, it gets wet, and then the mustache wax gets loose. Um, although the temps can actually help, right? So if I wax it in the morning and go for a walk and it's cold out, it just gets real. Lock it in. Locks it in, and then it gets kind of like permed, you know, uh -huh. into that spot. So It's your signature look. I think it's great. Thanks. And I, I do enjoy having the mustache. I, I actually don't care for what I look like without a mustache now, so I'll probably always have it. The curls I've been known to lop off once in a while, and and those come back relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, after 14 years, they just kind of know what to do, right? They really do. <laughs> yeah, and now, well, now there's, it's not even salt and pepper, it's just straight up white hairs are coming through there. And so that's really thrown me for a loop. A now. sign of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs>
Gandalf the Grey is slowly creeping in here. <laughs> Are there any professional goals that you're working on mm. right now? Man, I feel like that's my job is to kind of work on professional goals. Mm -hmm. um, you just always try to be better at everything, more efficient, um, a better person, a better coworker. There's there's a relentless. I think it it's a relentless life pursuit. Uh, and I don't think I have anything like <clears throat> like specific per se that I'm working on. Um, you know, I'm working on like work stuff. But professional goals, as far as like me personally, like my personal growth, um, I feel like there's I I have so much to learn, <laughs> even like with our within our own systems, but um, really, I, I feel like my role is to try to to make sure that all the teams have the support and tools they need, and so my professional growth is kind of through my coworkers and through the productivity of the business. Mm -hmm. And so if the business is productive and, you know, financially stable and we're making less mistakes and we're becoming a healthier organization, I feel like it's just this perpetual process of just trying to be, push the boundaries of excellence and, and, and try to trim the fat that clouds you know, our, our, our productive capacity mm -hmm. in owning and operating a business. Um, but I think in general, it's like, uh, if you don't have your health, then what do you have? So like, you really do have to kind of start at the core. And I feel like physical health, mental and emotional health, um, your work life, family balance, like all of those things are essential to the core mm -hmm. for you to be able to produce and be the professional that you want to be. Yeah, I think they definitely both play into each yeah. other hand in hand. So there's always room for more sleep, more exercise, more free time. And that can be a hard thing to deal with when you have a business um, that, re that seemingly, right, requires one million percent of your time and mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so Balancing that, I think, is is important. Always, always. <laughs> coming in, coming in, and not being rage against the machine, Joe, but being more like a uh, strategic. Zen. Yeah, is that possible? Yeah. Um, so if you're like me and you have ADHD and OCD, I call it enthusiastic multitasking. Um, you can be a force to be reckoned with sometimes, and you know because you're thinking about the the globe of shorts. Whereas everything else is somewhat departmentalized. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, the globe can be tough to manage. So I, I might need to be pursuing more departmental goals. <laughs> I have a couple more questions. These are just rapid fire questions, Bring lightning it. round, whatever right, comes to your head here. first. Yeah, I think we need a little bit. Ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Indoors or outdoors? Oh, outdoors for sure. Summer or winter? Hmm. Summer. I said rapid fire. Yeah. Favorite okay. subject in school? Woodshop. What would your superpower be if you had one? Oh, man. Time traveling. IPAs or stouts? IPAs. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Introvert or extrovert? 
introvert. Night in or night out? Night in. All right. Now we can get out of the rapid fire oh, mindset. Yeah. Okay, we can just kind of take it easy now. That was good. I want to end by sharing a little sunshine. Okay. So just something that you think somebody could benefit from hearing, words that you live by, your favorite quote, whatever it may be, but just mm. share a little sunshine. Mm. Share a little sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Siri we will, we will said, never understand. <laughs> Siri just said she didn't understand. We weren't asking you, Siri. I was asking Joe. Um, She's so, she interrupts so I'm much. very nosy. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I feel like, just in general, humanity and the way that the world functions, um, I guess my... My perspective is that um, we're all humans. Like there's, in, in some way, shape, or form, we're all the same. And so all the noise around whatever people disagree about, politics, consumer goods, whatever, it just all comes down to the fact that we're, we're all the same. And we all live in the same place. And we're all going to live a certain amount of time here. And so don't do anything you don't want to do. Don't live where you don't want to live. And whatever your vocation, profession, hopefully it's something that you enjoy. And then it produces a positive result at the end of it. So <clears throat> our motto here at Shorts is that we want to leverage the power of the smallness through our products of passion to help good humans lead awesome lives and leave the world better than we found it. And I feel like that's always summed up under the golden rule. It's just treat other people how you want to be treated. Pick up the litter off the sidewalk if you walk by it. Like, this is all of our house. This is all of our place. And we're all on the same team. You're going to die sometime between like 80 and 100. So think about that. What you're going to leave, what legacy are you going to leave? And that's all I want to say, I guess. <laughs> well said. Thank you so much. I think with that, we have to finish these and probably pour another. I got all day. <laughs> Joe Short, thank you so much for coming on We're All Script. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Look at you, bottoms up. You're definitely a beer girl. That was so good. I forgot I was drinking beer. And it's warm. It, so. <laughs> that's how you know it's really good. That's how you know. <laughs> <laughs>